0: You are tuned into the Constructionist podcast, and tonight we are continuing our series on the book of Mark. Now, at the Constructionist, we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we are examining the life of Christ through a clear and honest lens. So, by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding of love and compassion for yourself and others. So we want to assure you that in tonight's episode, we are not fabricating anything, as many have done, with information and ideas. Our goal is to provide an honest and authentic perspective in our examination. So if we're guessing, we're gonna tell you, and if things are based in facts, we're gonna tell you where to find it. So this is our thinking space, where we are presenting ideas and thoughts, and tonight we're making our best attempt to explain very practical theologies to live by. So if you enjoy The Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or the show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. You can also support us through our Patreon page at The Constructionists. Your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But even more importantly, we want to hear from you and engage with you. We believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together. We value your feedback, we value your questions and ideas, and we're excited to build a community around our shared exploration of what we call a communal hermeneutic. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think. So today, Mark 13, Shirea, Jake, welcome. So glad that you could visit again this evening on this Thursday night. We do this every Thursday night at eight o'clock. And so we are excited to be together again. Good evening. Hello. So <laughs> hey. Mark 13, that's where we're going to be at. So Jake, go ahead and take us through the journey of some apocalypse. Are you wanting to go slide by slide or do you want to do the whole chapter 13? Let's, uh, let's do the whole chapter to get kind of a big picture and then we can go back and do okay moment by moment i think that's important because this is really just one block of literature that we need to cover tonight okay
1: as Jesus left the temple one of his disciples said to him teacher look what awesome stones and building jesus responded do you see these enormous buildings not even one stone will be left upon another all will be demolished jesus was sitting on the mount of olives across in the temple Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? What sign will show that all these things are about to come to an end? Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many people will come in my name saying, I'm the one. They will deceive many people. When you hear of wars and reports of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must happen, but this isn't the end yet. Nations and kingdoms will fight against each other and there will be earthquakes and famines in all sorts of places. These things are just the beginning of the suffering associated with the end. Watch out for yourselves. People will hand you over to the councils. You'll be beaten in the synagogues. You will stand before the governors and kings because of me so that you can testify before them. First, the good news must be proclaimed to all nations. When they haul you in and hand you over, don't worry ahead of time about what to answer or say. Instead, say what is ever given to you at that moment. For you aren't doing the speaking, but the Holy Spirit is. Brothers and sisters will hand you over to death. A father will turn his children. Children will rise up against their parents and have them executed. Everyone will hate you because of my name, but whoever stands for mentally until the end will be saved. When you see disgusting and destructive things standing where it shouldn't be. The readers should understand this. Then those in Judea must escape the mountains. Those in the roof shouldn't come down or enter into their houses to grab anything. Those in the field shouldn't come back to grab their clothes. How terrible it will be at the time for women who are pregnant and for women who are nursing their children. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter. In those days there will be great suffering, such as the world has never seen and it will never see again. If the Lord hadn't shortened that time, no one would be rescued. For the sake of the chosen ones, the ones whom God chose, he has cut short the time. Then if someone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. False Christs and prophets will appear, and they will offer signs and wonders in order to deceive, if possible, to those whom God has chosen. But you watch out. I've told you everything ahead of time. In those days, after the suffering of that time, the sun will become dark and the moon won't give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the planes, planets, and other heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then they will see the human one coming in the clouds with great power and splendor. Then he will send the angels and gather together his chosen people from the four corners of the earth, from the end of the earth to the end of heaven. Learn this parable from the fig tree after its branch becomes tender and the sprouts now new leaves, you know it's summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, you know that he's near at the door. I assure you that this generation won't pass away until these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. No, But nobody knows when that day and hour will come. Not the angels in heaven or not the sun. Only the Father knows, watch out, stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming, and it is as if someone took a trip, left the household behind, and put the servants in charge, giving each one a job to do, and told the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know when the head of the household will come, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the early morning at daybreak. Don't let him show up. When you weren't expecting and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert.
0: Okay. Well, that was kind of weird. And <laughs> we're going to talk about weird things today, I think a little bit. Um, I'm hoping to. A couple of thoughts that I just want to introduce us to apocalyptic literature. I have studied apocalyptic literature for a very long time and I actually enjoy uh, it because it talks through signs and symbols and metaphor mm-hmm. and illustration and all kinds of relational ideas. And so um, apocalyptic literature is actually rich and full of, of good thoughts. And really, um, I would say metaphor that we can carry forward into t- today with respect of how it was written then. So remember that apocalyptic literature, in and of itself, everything that was written was understood by the listener of that day. So the context of apocalyptic literature is 2,000 years ago. So Mark, with respect of when Mark was written, who wrote it, and to whom it was written to, those listeners, the person that wrote it, the context of the day was all taken in consideration, and the listener understood it. So when you go into like the Book of Revelation or Second Thessalonians or or what have you, Second uh, Peter, those listeners understood. They understood what the the bowls were in in Revelation, or they understood uh, just all the nuance that you see all the way through the Book of Revelation, which is the biggest apocalyptic type writing that we uh, have in the Canon. So <clears throat> so uh, a lot of people over the years, reformers and such rejected the apocalyptic literature. Martin Luther wanted to do away with apocalyptic literature. Uh, people that um, first translated the Bible out of the uh, away from the Latin Vulgate into more of a common English, type version wanted to do away with apocalyptic literature, Uh, partially because I would guess it was hard to translate. (laughs) That's, that that would be my guess first. Um, But second is what does it actually mean? And is it confusing and does it send us down paths that are dangerous? I -hmm. think when you don't consider and respect the context of the day, who it was written to and who wrote it that's when it becomes dangerous So I'm thinking that the I don't know the swarms of locusts were Apache helicopters in Iraq I think I think when when you start making those kinds of relationships you're quite misguided and unfortunately the progressives have rejected apocalyptic literature over the years because of those, I don't know, mystical or fanciful um, type relationships that some people have done. I think it's just irresponsible theology. And progressives, I think, need to recapture apocalyptic literature. But there's several things that progressives need to recapture. I think progressives need to, you know, come off of epistemology and this whole idea that knowledge is, you know, the power of, you know, like. The, the Bible and whether or not these nuances of the Bible are true, and what that means, and all this epistemological ideas of, of progressives, I think we need to recapture some things like what is sin, like the progressives need to spend a little more time on recapturing, like, like the idea of what is sin and doing work over the years of like the theology of sin. Um, we're afraid we're afraid to call something sin because of the moral police or the purity police that are out there what they've done with sin but that that doesn't need to be our reaction just because somebody has done something with literature our reaction as a progressive doesn't need to be well we're just going to stay away from the topic and run away from it so something like sin could be recaptured into the anti love your neighbor that i i would say that the greatest command of love your neighbor is yourself the opposite of that would be sin. So how do you like how do you sin? Well, I guess breaking the greatest command. Um, so something like that or. Or or our uh, our rejection of the church in and of itself and how the church has acted towards, let's say, the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed. So the progressive is going to be really camped over here in the marginalized, poor and oppressed. But then is there room for the theology of ecclesiology? So, mm-hmm. so is there an eccles—is there ecclesiological room in the progressive thinking? Or is it all about just being amongst the poor, marginalized, and oppressed? And that's where we need to spend like 90, you know, 100% of our time. Or is there room for ecclesiology? So I think that these things as a progressive rejects, deconstructs something here because of what, no, let's say evangelicals have done to it or, you know, the, the purity movement has done or those things have been very harmful, abusive and wrong. Yet, what do we need to capture? So I think, you know, over the years when you get those cards in the mail, you know, where it shows Jesus with a sword and a white robe and a horse coming into your mailbox, uh, and we receive those cards and you're like, wow, I need to go to church because I'm scared. Um, <laughs> I think that that kind of manipulative technique of apocalyptic literature, wrong. I agree with uh, the, the, the notion that those things are really uh, quite abusive to do with scripture. So how does a progressive um, recapture the apocalypse? Because it's right there. I mean, it's it's in Mark 13. It's in a gospel. It's not. It's not. It, yes, it is in Revelation. Yes, it is in the Peters and the Thessalonians. Yes, we see the apocalyptic literature in other places. But right here, we see Jesus preaching an apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So I think the recapturing, I think, of the apocalypse. Um, what's what's the word? It, well, it emanates from Jesus. And and therefore, as little Christs, what emanates from us with the apocalypse? So how do we communicate the apocalypse? I think that the whole bullhorn person with the turn or burn, you know, Jesus is coming quick. Um, I think that, that that kind of theology needs to go away. But what is like if we, we camp on our epistemological a foundation of progressive Christianity Then, what is our biblical knowledge of the apocalypse and how do we recapture it? So I think I'd like to start there. It's like, it's like, how do we recapture this apocalypse for the future of the church?
2: I have a couple of thoughts. Yeah, please. Um, something that I remember being taught in seminary that I think was really useful is that apocalyptic literature should never inspire fear. Um, it should inspire worship. So if a passage is interpreted in such a way that it, um, then it makes you afraid that is not a useful, um, or maybe even healthy interpretation of that scripture. Um, and so you need to try again. Yeah.
0: You get a do over.
2: <laughs> yep. Um, Maybe
1: not. Maybe not you. Maybe somebody else. else.
2: <laughs> yeah. Someone else gets a do over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think something also that is helpful is just to start with um, the, the root of the word um, apocalyptic, that it means mm-hmm. to reveal something. Right. Um, right. Because in pop culture, apocalyptic has come to mean like destruction oh, and the end of the world. Yeah. Right, but what's really, the idea is to reveal something that is maybe behind the scenes. Um, Mm -hmm. So often, like if we're looking at the book of Revelation, that's um, pulling back the curtain to show that God is still in control, that God is still um, active in history and in where the world is going
0: Hmm. that sounded so the holy spirit put together (laughs) wow (laughs) awesome so god is still active if we recapture this apocalyptic thought um god is active we we see or give god the chance I guess, to come alive again, even though God is alive, we know that, but come alive in our minds again, as relevant for today. Mm-hmm. I think par- part of our challenge, um, I-, I was with a pastor group and they were they were giving me a, a structure of prayer and I need a structure of prayer because I'll just sit there and wander, you know, about my what I want to, you know, do next or purchase next or project next in my life, you know, in my prayer life. So I have this like structure of prayer that I'm supposed to follow. And, and sometimes I need that structure. And um, and what I said was, OK, I'm going to go on a prayer walk and implement my atheistic prayer structure with the hope that God will the the God that I believe in will show up. And it kind of shocked them uh, (laughs) that I said my atheistic structure. I I think that it is kind of like a practical atheism or agnosticism that that we uh, agnostic behavior that that we go through um, with our practices. And then we have the hope of. Something God being present and something better mm-hmm. and the God that yeah. we believe in will actually show. I think that's the apocalypse. Jesus is giving this like like structure of this is you know, the, the end is near and here's how it's going to play out and wars and pestilence and people are going to die and, and all these things. And so uh, that's kind of a structure of the apocalypse mm-hmm. that is very well, it's it's very real. And it's very tangible with the hope that in the end, God will show up in a much, I think, hopefully better way than, you know, people being, I guess, drawn and quartered in the streets or whatever <laughs> is being alluded to here. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's some thoughts there. I, I appreciate the Holy Spirit, um, God showing up in worship out of the apocalypse
1: in this passage in mark it's hard to decipher what is jesus talking about the end of days and also jesus talking about the destruction of the temple Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which would feel like end of days and i would i would take the stance that jesus is probably not talking about the very ultimate end of days just the end of this civilization as they as they knew it and so after jesus there was a jewish uprising and then rome came in and completely destroyed the temple destroyed jerusalem it was i forget how many months or years was the siege But some of the accounts, the siege was like people having to eat each other because of the food shortage was so low and the The starvation, the Donner Party of Jerusalem, Um, and the band of Christians like banding together during the time to to suffer through this together. Um, I, I think that is more the illusion that Jesus is giving in this in this point, but the the readers at that moment would have known what happened to the temple. If if we place this writing, at least eminently in the siege, or at, or directly after the complete destruction of Jerusalem, then that it would be very real to the reader. And so we're we're looking at this. 2000 years completely out of context away where the reader would probably more pointed to, they made it through. Now what? And so, um, apocalyptic literature is difficult. Uh, There's a section in Daniel that's heavily contested with an English comma. There's this section in Mark. And then there's revelation and I can't think of any more distracting theology, uh, than these, than these passages, because people always like to focus on what's coming next and Mm -hmm. what's not here. And so as it should move you to do something, right? Not expect you to do something later. And we have these weird theologies like rapture like we're going to be taken up in a cloud there's no such thing as rapture in scripture um i'm trying to think of some other things that are just not there uh hell is not there and so the casting into the fiery pit that's that's reserved for one being right and it's not (laughs) that's not the human being
0: uh, rapture, rapture theology actually comes from a one-liner in Revelation, <laughs> where you see the 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 saints in the end are all worshiping like throngs around the throne. So we we see that later in Revelation, but right when the angel is appears to John, and the angel says, "Come up here, come mm-hmm. up here." So in uh, in rapture theology, that that is where rapture comes from, is the come up here and see. And huh. that, I, that idea, I know, isn't that weird that that. Well, well I thought it
2: was um, from Thessalonians where Paul says we will meet the Lord in the air.
0: Yes, but the idea but... at a revelation is come up here. So they right. they,
1: they actually they they put all of these three verses together to come right. up here, right? The servant or the master leaving his house. He just looks like he just left it. Right. And then the Thessalonians we will meet
0: Jesus in the air. It's, it's crazy to think that, that we can, it's very dangerous, I think, to think that you can develop an entire motif of theology off of, let's just say three verses. I've actually heard a whole sermon on "Come up here," um, for rapture <laughs> theology. So it's like it's like out of th- just a few words, um, it's it's just kind of crazy to think that we can do that uh, because we won't. It's a it's a pick and choose um, theological uh, hermeneutic when we when we approach scripture that way. Because we have long passages of Scripture that say something different. Come down here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's this, this idea of, of just a pick and choose. I, I want to go back to what uh, Shreya was saying and Jake, just what you were alluding to. Um, first, we have to know, when we reclaim apocalyptic literature, first we have to really understand that apocalyptic language begins in the Hebrew text. It begins in Hebrew scripture. And there is apocalypse thinking and talk, uh, within, um, I would say in Exodus, when, you know, you have the, the plagues would be considered this this, uh, apocalyptic type, um, a metaphor or style or, or just a, 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 picture of word, you know, picture that's taken from words. And so, uh, so I would argue there. Um, but yeah, of course in Daniel, we see a heavy emphasis on, um, like an apocalyptic ending or empire ending. And that just shows me that, you know, as, as I see it rooted in Hebrew scripture, um, there there's there's problems with hebrew scripture i would say compared to new testament scripture or vice versa there's problems with new testament scripture compared to hebrew scripture because the the change is dramatic so jesus actually is changing hebrew uh uh ideas leaving endings off softening the judgment of god and things like that in uh, new testament um, words versus Old Testament copies of of the same uh, verses scripture, uh, like an example of that would be back. It's like you see a heavy spiritual warfare type theology in New Testament, but in Old Testament, it's like. Like, like Yahweh and, Satan oh, and just... card like play, card playing buddies in Job, you know, so like you yeah, like you have this like weird illusion of like a sit-down conversation in old testament but in new testament like it's a warfare theology of you know the 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 unseen world so i think that, that i think that there is a change but we need to know that apocalyptic literature is rooted in hebrew scripture so we see it as kind of a cycle And that's the importance that I want to bring to the conversation today. You've heard this, you've heard this, uh, maybe this old adage of, uh, you know, know your history, uh, because if you don't, history will repeat itself. I I think that that's a really dumb thing to say, because you can know history, and history still repeats itself in a new way. So I think that the human condition is history is going to repeat itself. And there's cycles of empire. The promise is that empires will fall kingdoms will fall kingdoms are going to fall no matter what so every time a kingdom falls that is and god is revealed that the empire has fallen and the christ is emerges out of the tomb mm-hmm. Christ is emerged out of the ashes it's like the mark Wahlberg coming out of the or the uh bruce willis coming out of the exploded building you know he comes out of the ashes that whole idea of hero sad no i'm I'm not i'm not kidding that whole idea of hero is written right in scripture so the hero the hero idea the 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 revelation that's the revelation that's the apocalyptic revelation what sherea was saying it's the revealing so kingdoms will fall and that's going to repeat so so we were talking about you know egypt now we're talking about you know the babylonians and the Assyrians. fast forward to the romans fast forward to to whatever kingdom you want to apply the apocalypse to so i think the apocalypse applies metaphorically to just the notion that empire will fall period and uh-huh. uh, and then what is revealed in that um i think that's kind of a foundational foundational premise. Do you guys have any more thoughts on that? Because I think that's I mean, to me, that's important. But Mm -hmm.
2: yeah, um, I think so. Growing up in the 90s, there was a lot of focus on the end times, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You bet. And America was always center stage of that, right? So you're reading Revelation and you're interpreting all of these things happening like they're happening to America. And so you're looking for, you know, oh, there was an earthquake. Where is it in Revelation? What does it mean? And it just it takes away from the the universality of the text. As soon as you put it in a specific place and time, right. it no longer applies to all people everywhere. Um, and so if we keep this broad idea that it's just about the cyclical nature of empires rising and falling, all of a sudden the text actually has meaning for everybody.
0: Well, and I'll go back to your Walter Brueggemann, the prophetic imagination. Mm
2: -hmm. So if
0: this is a prophetic type, apocalyptic writing, the imagination is that that applies not only to, well, let's, let's say it applies to the Hebrew nation. It applies to the actual character of the prophet that's speaking. It applies to the church. It applies to the future of the church. It applies to empire, current, past, uh, and and future. So, yeah, I love that word, the universality of text, because honestly, if it's not a universal um, application, then how does this apply? I mean, if America's center stage. How does this apply to africa right you know at that point it's that's such a prideful (laughs) Mm -hmm. reading of the text but lots of people do it oh yeah Mm -hmm. like america's the savior of the world like we become the savior yeah well mark is actually thought mark 13 is actually thought of as a little apocalypse yeah this is the little little apocalypse. it's a, it's a complete version. Um, and Mark is a reliable gospel. It's actually the most reliable gospel. Some people think that this is the most reliable gospel um, out of it's all of them, which is an supposed interesting to be there, yeah. yeah, which is an interesting um, thought and this is the right at the heart. So Jesus becomes this apocalyptic preacher. And so Jesus is preaching apocalypse. So, I mean, that's hard to sit there and like say this doesn't apply to us today. I mean, it's pretty, pretty arrogant, I think.
1: I think in our, in our context, it's hard to say it applies to us. And the the reason I think being is that we are the ones that are afflicting the pain, not the ones that are receiving the pain. And so like um, American Christians are being persecuted or this idea that, are, that we are being persecuted because of our beliefs
0: or are that well, we are a religion. The religion Just because something it depends on where you put yourself in the story right are you the empire yeah. or are you the, the in the, our hour on this
1: i think in our united states and our position in christianity we are we are empire in that there's a post about like the christianity was always an exclusivity oh. or in in exclusivity and Mm. Um, was about exclusivity, not about uh, inclusion, right? Or, and so this person was feeling persecuted because their view of of Christianity should have been that of exclusivity, not inclusivity. Mm. With we can create little mini apocalyptic apocalyptic moments all over and i think what jesus is referencing or mark is referencing it's this is an odd chapter because i don't think anywhere else in scripture does jesus really dig into apocalyptic type speak i could be
0: wrong well this this the, the gospel takes a weird turn right here i mean we're about ready to get into some weird stuff yeah um, here in the latter chapters if we even accept them
1: and also you get to look at in the context of writing it's been almost 40 years after jesus was crucified most of the generation has died off mm-hmm. and so how do you instill hope that there's going to be change is to remind everyone that empires do fall and so mm. I don't, I don't know if this passage is so much about if, if I want to look at it, like what is, what is this a really odd writing about? Yeah. And what's saying, if Shreya was saying, if it, if it, in, if it involves fear, that's wrong. But if it, if it instills hope in the reader that, that you'll make it through and there will be hope on the other side that, that empires will fall. Right. But in our social condition, like ours, personal, like we are, we are that empire that's, that's holding people down. So what do we do Mm -hmm. with that? And so what we were talking about earlier of 90s Christianity, I think the biggest boat we missed was that, that we were Babylon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or Rome or, yeah, I mean, Revelation's all about Babylon, but yeah. I mean, it's that's the word they use, but it is right. about Rome all the time, right? And Nero, Cazar. Do you think that
0: Jesus actually said this? I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. I mean, if I if I do the Marcus Borg color wheel, <laughs> um, I don't see any reason why, unless I have a real disdain towards apocalyptic literature, because there were there were these versions of apocalypse that came out pre-Christ in kind of the the uh, apocryphal pseudoepicrypha ideas where where they were very apocalyptic and apocalyptic literature was an addiction back then, where calling for the end um, was a thing, but an important thing to remember there is that apocalypse is not God inaugurated. It's people inaugurated human beings, inaugurate the apocalypse. So it's it's very much so um, real that apocalyptic literature is relevant because it's just the heart of the people, the heart of the people are being spoken about here and they're the ones inaugurating the apocalypse.
1: Apocalypse is about calling for the end of of the current power at be right, Mm -hmm. right. And I mean, if you just think about our current situation and current context, uh, I think of South American Latin writers. um, Help me out, Shreya.
2: Uh, Uh, like Gutierrez
1: and no. I mean, ba, you could go that the the guy uh, the pedagogy of the oppressed.
2: Oh, Paulo Freire.
1: Yeah, and so if you if you look at the critics about about Freire, Freire,
2: Yeah, I am not a hundred percent sure. Not pronounce the his last name. Pedagogy the
1: oppressed, and the uh, I forget the other pedagogy of. There's one more book he wrote. Of excellent. hope,
2: I think, isn't it? Yeah,
1: pedagogy of hope. That's right if you look at those and look at the critique of writing he's calling he's calling out what the lowest class the ones that are being i mean that, that's as close to the apocalyptic literature as i think i can possibly get in connection that we have today is mm-hmm. looking at uh colonized oppressed people group just like the jews were at the time to an oppressive oversight and overbody just like the Jews were at the time. So if you look at liberation theology, Mm -hmm. and I I view apocalyptic literature as liberation theology, and that it's about liberation from oppressed, about oppressive powers written in such a way where the oppressive powers would have a hard time deciphering it but those that are going through the struggle and the pain would actually know what was being said.
0: So the the time that I was involved in a liberation movement was years ago in Thailand. I was in Thailand in 2009. Was it 2009? No, 2010, somewhere around there. And it was the riots in Thailand, and it was called the Red Shirt Riots. And to watch the the rural working class try to overthrow the literal kingdom, the kingdom of Thailand, which you had the yellow shirts and you had the red shirts. And those were just political parties, but they called them by the color of their shirt. Mm-hmm. And and so you had the red and the yellow you had another one too i can't remember but rainbow. it was the it was the multicolored. i think it was rainbow shirts rainbow yeah. shirts yeah and and so when amanda and myself landed in thailand bangkok was on fire and it was the red shirts trying to overthrow the literal kingdom um because of the oppressiveness so liberation Uh, ideas go way beyond an apocalyptic, the end is here. That idea, um, goes beyond just a Christian motif. Uh, but the idea that that is different is everyone in apocalypse, everyone in liberation believes that there's life after the apocalypse. And the life after, I think, is something that progressives can reclaim as what is that life after? And I don't think that it's necessarily an eternal life that is being spoken about. Um, It's more of a heavenly realm. It's more of the kingdom of God is here. And the way people are treated, the greatest commission, the greatest commandment, Um, the equality of there's no longer these classes of people. There's no longer gender differentiation. Everyone is equal. Um, That idea of life after death and the death being the apocalyptic crush, um, the liberation emerging out of the ashes, then comes the kingdom of God. Uh, Christians have taken a very mystical kind of a just eternalizing the life after death because it's like finally we get to be done with all this garbage and so we get to like live in the clouds with god forever and so i don't know if that is necessarily jesus's speak here and so no no. i don't think so and so that idea of life after death i think can be Another reclamation of liberation. Cause everyone believes that there will be life after this apocalypse. This whether it's an eternal like nirvana blow off, or is it, you know, actually f- taking care of people and loving loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So do we believe in the apocalypse?
1: Are you talking about like the destruction of the end of days, like that style of apocalypse? Or what do you mean? Or mm.
2: just that Empires Fall, yes.
1: <laughs> I I think if you're if you're talking about like um the schizarro not Cizarro, uh, who wrote Left Behind? If you're talking about the Kirk Cameron view of of Revelation (laughs) or the apocalypse, I think that is very misguided and leads to some very ugly theologies. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. If you're talking about the end of oppressive forces within your current context, I hope so.
0: Well, if you look at what's happening today and the literally a series of just never ending war, wherever it is on the planet, it's somewhere. And so we have a never ending war of the people that God loves, the human person, human beings, Mm -hmm. all human beings are loved by God and. They're at war so that so the children of God are at war somewhere in society, somewhere in the on the planet and that very planet, the children that all the children of God are destroying right. that planet. So they're destroying the garden. They're destroying each other. So we see this like like destruction um, of not only planet, but of people and in people. We see war, we see disease that's being ignored, poverty that's being uh, pushed aside, inequalities all over the planet. People are being oppressed at greater levels. And somebody can argue, well, just the population is greater. So oppression is greater, which I think there's some truth to that. But then oppression is at a greater, greater level <laughs> at that point. Um, you just see it more. Um, And so everything let's let's just take that that evangelical stance that the world is evil, right? Let's just camp on that for a minute. The world is evil. Um, The world is going to hell like in a physical like. Like just being destroyed. Yet I don't necessarily believe that. All people are evil. And so there's hints. There's hints of kingdom. And the hints of kingdom could be like when Jesus is on the scene and I, I did this study on uh, on John 17, one through five, and the idea that what is eternal life and eternal life is, according to John 17, is to know God and to know Jesus. And the word in in Greek, to know, means to recognize. And to be, it actually means to have a mastery of recognition. So you would be a master at recognizing God and Jesus. Mm -hmm. The works, the words, the miracles, the presence of Christ. Back to as you know, God is showing up. And the apocalypse, right, is once again this idea that The world is going to hell in a handbasket and all things around us are being destroyed, planet people and uh, and just just the entire planet. And. We are as Christians within that apocalypse are to be masters of recognition. And what what are we recognizing? God and Jesus, so what in God and Jesus, justice, mercy and grace. And it's only when, as Christians, amongst this hell in a handbasket, that we can start preaching a message of justice, mercy, and grace, and to recognize justice and mercy and grace, then kingdoms will fall and the kingdom of God will reign. And that's when kingdoms fall and kingdom of God reigns. And that's, I think, the prophetic imagination, is is that mastery of recognition that that we, we see that the world is in a really difficult place. Yeah. I mean, heck, you know, climate change is like, it's imminent. It's imminent. It's, it's just like, it's among stuffs, right? So what is the world going to be like in another 25, 50 years? Um, You know, within not my lifetime, but my child's lifetime. So what is, what is the world going to be like? Can we still be Seekers and recognizers could be we be on the hunt um, for kingdom justice, kingdom, mercy, kingdom grace. I think that's what this apocalypse uh, points me points me towards. It's like if 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 apocalypse is ushered in by human beings, uh, it, it does say that God shows up in the midst of that destruction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um So am I the one that's showing up where justice, mercy, and equality reign and grace reigns in in my world? Am I ushering that in or am I just being a part of the problem? I think if
1: you deny the voice of the oppressed, you're becoming part of the problem.
0: 100%. Any more thoughts on that, Shreya? Not really. Mhm. If I go into Paul, and I think about Paul and what he what he wrote is what is it in Galatians? Where Galatians, let me look it up here really quick. Galatians three, Galatians three, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody, locked up until the faith that was to come would be apocalypsed revealed. Mm -hmm. So, so oppression comes in many forms. And I think that I would call the evangelical church to an altar call right now of repentance where uh, the evangelical church, just in general, has been a great big part of the problem of how Christians form and think of the world and the participation in the world. So global warming doesn't exist. Uh, Some president is the savior of humankind. Um, Anger is, is a relevant, and to be expressed emotion all the time. All lives Uh, matter. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is wrong. Exclusivity is the correct Christian answer. Uh, That actually was written um, two days ago. (laughs) I read that shocked. Uh, I think those things, according to Paul, lock us up. Like we're locked up inside and faith of justice, mercy, equity, inclusivity, helping people like the Samaritan woman of our life or the leper of our life or the demonic man of our life or whoever that is. Just just metaphorically think about the other, the one that's pushed to the margins the roofs of our life pushed to the margins right out in the, out in the slave quarters, right? Just pushed to the very edges of oppression and abuse and, and such uh, until the faith that was to come would be apocalypsed revealed so that we would be free so that we would be free. I think that's what Jesus was trying to say in Mark 13. Or what he said in our lack of interpretation. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Okay, well, let's end with that. Let's go into 14 next week. But 13 we completed this week. I'm really happy about that. A couple more weeks in the book of Mark. And then we go into our cults and the mystic ideas of of faith and um, how do we rightly relate to the cults of the world? I hope that we answer that question as well, but we're gonna go over cults um, and what, a, what is a cult? What is our modern definition, cultural definition of cult? We're gonna cover that as well. All right, thanks both of you for joining us. If you'd like to support us again, go to the show notes, our link under the give page, you can give towards our constructionist podcast or go to Patreon and go to the constructions you can give there as well. Please respond, we desire your feedback and we will respond uh, during the week as well. And so um, as maybe you responded or asked a question today, we hope that we answered your questions today. Uh, But in the future or or in the next handful of days, if you have a question, please reach out, slip into the DMs and please direct message us and we will, We will respond to you uh, through the week as well. All right, with that, good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us.